This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, it's a Friday, so we should be talking about positive things heading into the weekend. We should not be focusing so much on the shady side of the mountain, but more the sunny side of the mountain. Instead, how can you ignore the story coming out of Columbus? The thing is, the main story coming out of Columbus has kind of been a story for a while now coming out of Columbus, and that is, what's up with this team? And what's up with the benchings? And last night, you know, uh, seven or eight minutes left in the third period. It's a one-goal game. Arizona up 3-2. to two, And both Johnny Gaudreau and Patrick Laine find their butts nailed to the bench. Uh, when we talk Blue Jackets, we talk to Aaron Portsline, who's covered them seemingly forever uh, from The Athletic. He joins me now. Aaron, how are you, pal? All right, Jeff, can you confirm that there is a sunny side of the mountain? <laughs> I can't speak to Ohio, sir, but uh, <laughs> there is allegedly a sunny side. Eventually, the sun has to rise on Columbus. Yeah. Like, you know, the just, you know, by, by the, the law of averages here, like eventually something has to has to click. It's just that getting there has been so tough. Like, I think a lot yeah. of people looked at, you know, the, the various moves, whether it was this offseason and shoring up the blue line, uh, or previous, you know, the Johnny Gaudreau signing, um, bringing in, you know, Patrick Laine for Pierre-Luc Dubois. Jack Roslovic comes over in that deal as well. Like, when they happen, we generally all look at them and say, holy smokes, like, this is uh, Yarmo Kekalainen doing a real job here. It's only a matter of time, Aaron, before this works. So maybe the first question, even before we get to the benchings last night, is why is this taking so long to work? And can it work with this mix? Well, you're right. It's hard to put your finger on it because all of the, I, I think there was an understanding that when this season started, that it could be a choppy start inconsistencies, not bottom of the barrel as we've seen, but inconsistencies. You've got a new coach, a new system, a new assistant coach, Mark Recchi. Um, You've got two new defensemen in your top four who knows how free agents acclimate to their new team. Doesn't always happen right away. You've got a 19-year-old, just turned 19-year-old rookie, Adam Fantilli. You think he's, you know he's going to be a hell of a player, but you don't know how quickly that's going to come to be. Patrick Laine is moving to center ice uh, per his wishes. Like, there's a lot, there was a lot of things there to settle in, not to mention a very young roster with players that are not anywhere close to being fully formed. So, you don't know where they fit exactly because you don't know what you're going to get from them every night. So you expected some choppiness. Um, I don't. It, I don't think anybody could have anticipated that the that Johnny Gaudreau would be missing an action one fifth of the way into the season. I mean, missing an action. Jeff, no. He has yeah. one goal. It's an empty net goal. He has six points. He's twelfth on the team in scoring. Johnny Gaudreau is twelfth on the team in scoring. He's been benched now twice. He's been dropped to the third line. As I've said, Johnny Gaudreau might not play third line on Team USA. How can he do it in Columbus? Um, But nothing has gotten him going. And so he's the poster child for what's going on right now. Line A is kind of a mess right now with his game. He'd be the first to admit that. Um, He's back after an early season concussion, so he gets certainly more of a pass than Gaudreau does because he missed almost three weeks. Elvis Merzlikens has been pretty good. That was a huge question mark coming into the season. There's so many things that, yeah. that, that, that you know you wondered about have been okay. 
so many things you never even considered have just been way below the bar. And that's why they're at where they're at. It's it's a mess. One, seven, and four in their last 12. They've got one win since October 21st. Okay, let me try to solve two teams' issues all in one swoop. Yes. And I know there are complicating things like no move clauses here that we have to deal with, but it's Friday and what I the heck. I see where this is going. Yes. Jonathan Huberto for Johnny Gaudreau. Okay, so you're suggesting that Gaudreau would go back to Calgary. <laughs> it's the the problem for problem, problem trade. It's not working for Gaudreau in Columbus. Yeah. It's not working in Calgary for Huberto. Can you imagine? Let's just let's just play this out. Can you imagine the welcome back in Calgary for him? I mean, you talk uh, about awkward. that would be interesting. Yeah, I know yeah. Ed, that would yeah, be would. A, a big time awkward one. Listen, the history of hockey is littered with these things, as 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 we well know. And I say this all tongue in cheek, yeah. but you know, it it is intriguing that you know we. You know, as much as we'll talk about, you know, the value contracts around the NHL and, wow, they're getting full value for this deal and, oh, wow, you know, the, the, the ink's barely dry on this deal and already it's paying off huge dividends. You know, two of the contracts that we're looking at right now around the league where we're saying, like, they're not getting anywhere near value is Jonathan Huberto yeah. and, and Johnny Gaudreau. And even though they weren't involved in the same transaction, they were involved in the same right. space with the for Calgary sure. Flames. Sure. And so, listen, I, I, I say it tongue-in-cheek, but it's like... It's one of those situations that's, you know, kind of only worked out for one person, and that's Matthew Kachuk. For everybody else, I mean, outside of getting paid, and that's great, set you up, set up your family for life. Sure. But from a hockey point of view, hasn't worked out for anybody. And, and you know, what's so fascinating is that it's like you go back to that summer for the Blue Jackets, and they're they're at that point about a year into two years into what you would call a, a rebuild, or however you want to phrase it. They they, they Stop short yeah. of using that word. They they just came up with synonyms for it. But and Johnny Gaudreau is the is the gorgeous girl in school that asks you out and you can't freaking believe it. That's really how it happened. They they were not uh-huh. pursuing him until it was made clear by his representation um, he would consider Columbus. How do you say no to that? Like I I, I mean I don't know how you 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 say we're not going to get into the Johnny Gaudreau. We're not ready for it yet. When you realize yeah. all this club has been through with players leaving, right? That that became but, the brand but, almost, can, unfortunately. Can, can I pause on that? Because I, I understand what you're sure. saying. Like, I understand doing things on certain timelines. Like, okay, so what's our timeline here? Okay, the sweet spot is, you know, our timeline is guys that are between 23 and 27. Like, that's the timeline that we're doing it on with our with our main players. And, and I get that too. But then when it comes to rebuilds, however you want to phrase it, I've always felt that if you're rebuilding, it's your job to both make and pick up great players. And that's why, yeah. you know, I know it might have been uncomfortable for Columbus once upon a time, but like the New York Rangers um, going out and picking up Artemi Panarin, like even though it was technically under the umbrella of a rebuild and he was, you know, someone that was in his late 20s at that point, that was a great move for the New York, for the New York Rangers. So I, I, I don't necessarily marry myself to the idea that, even though you're in the infancy of your rebuild, you should shut yourself out from free from free agency because rebuilds are just about making a better team. And if this person's yeah, falling yeah. in your lap, let them fall. You know what I mean? And that's what they did. At times, though, it feels, and I felt I felt this before with this organization that you're. It's almost like you're adding an eight million dollar chandelier to a starter home. 
where it's like it's gorgeous, but what the <laughs> what is it doing here? Like it looks really out of place yeah. here. It hasn't really been, and that's not a, the perfect analogy for what this is because Gaudreau was okay last year. He was the leading scorer last year. He had like 20 more points than anybody else. So this isn't, you know, he can't play anymore. Um, it's just, it's, it's very frustrating for Blue Jackets fans because there is a sense uh, with a lot of them that nothing works here, no matter what you try, no matter what the combination is. Um, there was a fleeting stretch there under John Tortorella, 18, 19, 20, 21, where they were competitive, made it to the playoffs, won a, actually won a playoff series. They've won one all time. Um, but why can't Columbus have nice things? What is it in the culture? What is it in the room? What is it in the organization that keeps this from working? Well, and, and that's why I wonder, and it you know, sounds like we're you know pounding on, on Yarmo Kekalainen and, and John Davidson, but they're part of this too. Um, is this issue more of a, is it a player issue? Is it a coach issue or is it a issue even above them in the GM and president's office? I think it's a player issue and I think it's a culture issue. And I think the GM and the president are certainly responsible uh, for that, for setting that. And I go back to Gaudreau here too, where he is a lot of things. He is an incredibly gifted player we've all seen that he's a heart trophy finalist the other just a couple of years ago i don't think yeah. anybody thinks of him as being a leader um he's a leader by example for certain players but he is not the the front of the line guy going into battle i don't think he was ever that in calgary i don't think he wants to be that and i don't think he has been that mm-hmm. in columbus he takes care of himself he gets himself ready to play uh, and he performs, although he is not this year. But he's not really been used to this. Uh, everyone looking at him when things go sideways. I think there were other people in Calgary that they looked at along with him when it went off the rails. When you're Johnny Gaudreau and you're you're the big fish in the small market, that's where the eyes are going right now, and it's it's uh, uh, he's not handled it well. Here I go again, marrying all this to Calgary, but it's, stick with me here, Aaron. I'm, I, I swear I'm going somewhere with this. Um, the Calgary Flames are an interesting situation in that they have players on expiring deals, whether it's Lindholm or Tanev or Zadorov and, and Hannafin. We all know the names. Um, that Craig Conroy is testing the market on. Like, okay, well, here's the sticker price, but what can you offer me? Uh, with a lot of these yeah. players. But at the same time, with the Jonathan Huberto contract and also the Nazem Kadri contract, he has to double down on supporting and trying to make those contracts, specifically Huberto's, work. Is Calgary in the same spot right now with Johnny Gaudreau? Now, some may say it's chasing, you know, uh, you know, chasing good money, bad money, all of that. But are they in a position where... Because the, the, the commitment is so long at such a high cap hit that they have to continue to double down to try to make this Gaudreau situation work, even at the age of 30. I think it is, yeah. I think it is. I think, I think ownership and John Davidson have to have a really uh, hard conversation here about who gets to make the decisions regarding these things. Um, 
does Jarmo Kekalainen, one of the longest tenured GMs in the league, does he get to continue trying to build this the right way? I think there's a lot of confusion right now among the fan base. It's just what the hell this season is supposed to be about because you've got a coach, Pascal Vincent, saying, oh, we're, we're playing the long, the long game here, which is why Kent Johnson is in, um, in Cleveland in the American Hockey League. It's why Juracek yeah. was scratched for two games and sent down. And then you've got a GM and, and a coach now. I think the coach has been corrected and told to, to to sing the right songs publicly. They want to make. They keep saying they want to make the playoffs. And I don't think you can have those two pursuits. This is either you're either getting your check uh, ready, you're getting Kent Johnson ready, you're playing Adam Fantilli, who's been their best forward, heavy, heavy minutes. Um, you know, obviously watching him closely to not bury him, but the direction of this team, the direction of this franchise, frankly, is is really a big, gigantic question mark right now. Um, leading many to think that new eyes would be best for the situation to really take a hard look from the inside. So many times GMs overvalue their own players. They make one move to make their previous move that wasn't ideal fixed. Um, I think ownership has to question whether that's something that's still appropriate here. Um, Do you think that there is, and maybe you've already answered this, um, do you think that there's any chance... You know, as you mentioned, Adam Fantilli has been their best forward. Is there any chance you think they look at this and say, okay, with this mix, it's not there, and they look at taking even just a small, like a deliberate, a deliberate small step backwards to build this team more around Adam Fantilli than Johnny Gaudreau and Patrick Laine, or are they going to do all this and have uh, Adam Fantilli sort of under the wing, if you catch my drift? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question, and it gets back to the whole culture and, you know, what are you trying to create in your room? They certainly know more about the culture set by Gaudreau and Line than, than I would as a guy who's just in the room for, you know, fleeting moments daily. Uh, you don't right. – you, you get vibes, but you don't get the, the full menu. I think a question that many, many people have about players across this league, not just Gaudreau and Line is, They make a ton of money, and they're really good players uh, at their best. But are those the guys? Can you build a championship or a really good team with those guys at the top? Can they be uh, the icing? Can they? You need cake. Can they just be the icing on your team, or do you need them to be the whole thing? Um, Columbus needs them to be the whole thing. I'm not sure they're they're wired for that. Um, and then the rest of this team, you've got a, you've got some character players here. Many of them are, I will put Boone Jenner in that category for sure. Many of the others are bottom-of-the-lineup type players, not to be critical of them, but Corrales a fourth-liner. DeBranson is a third-pair guy. There's a lot of guys here who probably know the way but, but aren't capable of leading the way on the ice. Um, yeah. And so I, I think it's just kind of a weird collection of players that doesn't really fit very well right now. 
Columbus next in action tomorrow, 7.30 Eastern, as they face off against the Washington Capitals. Uh, we will be watching closely, Aaron, even closer. Uh, no one does it better than you, pal. You uh, have a wonderful weekend. Uh, maybe next time we'll check back in and we'll talk about the sunny side of the mountain. You be good. It's the sunny side of the mountain. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> the great Aaron Ports line from The Athletic covering... The Columbus Blue Jackets, and here we are still asking the questions about the Columbus Blue Jackets and all of their top players. Columbus Blue Jackets have played 17 games so far this season. Let me bring Matt Marchese into this conversation. Matty, they've played 17 games the Blue Jackets have. Collectively, Johnny Gaudreau and Patrick Laine have how many goals? Oh, boy. Uh, I know Laine has one. Uh, two. I think it's two. I think Johnny Gaudreau only has, uh, has one goal as well. The two? Yeah, the answer is three. The answer is wow. three. Patrick Laine has two goals and Johnny Gaudreau has one. Jeez. Making 9.75 and 8.7. That's all. That's a, not a very good ROI, Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a good return on investment. That's bad, bad uh, business. It is not a very good return on investment. I, I, I wonder, between everything that happened in the offseason with, uh, with Mike Babcock and the way the team has started off this season and the expectations of moving it along and the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I really do wonder uh, about the uh, the voices at the top of this organization. Meanwhile, time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. What are we looking at from Hockey Night tomorrow? A nice, uh, what do we call them? What do you call not original six? What is it? There's the original one, but what do you call well, them? Well, there's two. There's... Uh, either arbitrary six or solvent six. The solvent six. That's the one. You. That's the solvent six. Uh, it is the Canadians at the Bruins. Uh, buck line is Bruins minus yeah. one and a half. The Canadians are 0 and 5 in the last five meetings in Boston. The favorite is 23 and 9 in the last 32 meetings. The under is 8 1 and 1 in the last 10 meetings in Boston. Uh, love when these two teams mix. There's always a sidebar of, uh, as I said in Clockwork Orange, ultraviolence. Uh, two organizations that historically do not get along. Um, Chris Cuthbert, Craig Simpson, Kyle Bukowskis, uh with the action in this one. Um, and listen, uh, these games are special. As much as Toronto, Montreal is, and we all know about you know uh, Boston. Um, and some of their rivals, Toronto most specifically as well, of, of recent note, Boston and Montreal is an elite rivalry and uh, and always has been. Looks like the Montreal Canadiens will be without Arbor Jacki In a really exciting game on Thursday night, Matty, I'm not sure how much of it you caught, uh, but that Vegas-Montreal game was thrilling. And mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a harder wrist shot taken this year than Jack Eichel's yesterday. Holy smokes. But uh, Arbor Jacki who just seems born for games like this, Montreal against Boston, uh, hit by Ivan Barbashev, uh, he's out. That's disappointing because you always want the fire starter in a game like this. Uh, very much looking forward to the Montreal Canadiens facing off against the Boston Bruins and that historic, comma, solvent six rivalry. Uh, one of four games on hockey night tomorrow, Arizona-Winnipeg. So that's Jets v. 1 versus Jets v. 2. The Islanders and the Flames. Seattle Kraken facing off against the Vancouver Canucks, and that is your hockey night tomorrow. That was uh, Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. We're talking tendies, your netminders, the guys with the tools of ignorance, with one of the smartest guys in the room, the great Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and and In Goal Magazine. All that coming up next as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back in a moment.
fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2 of the show. Kevin Woodley from In Goal Magazine and NHL.com. going to stop by here in a couple of moments to talk about everything goaltending. Park some time to talk about Swedish net mining, both historically and right now. And when we say right now, we focus on Jacob Markstrom and Linus Olimark and Philip Gustafsson and Jonas Johansson for your Tampa Bay Lightning as well. And Sammy Erson for your Philadelphia Flyers and these types of uh, of net minders. You know, I'm old enough to remember uh, a time where there was that first wave of European goaltenders that entered the NHL and they played different, looked different. Um, uh, we had seen, you know, international hockey specifically. And I think we all wondered whether the Montreal Canadiens were actually going to one day be able to bring in Vladislav Tretiak. That didn't happen. But what we saw in the late 70s and early 80s were goaltenders like Marcus Matson um, joined the NHL uh, with the Los Angeles Kings and Yuri Sira uh, come in to play with the Toronto Maple Leafs and Hardy Astrom, there's your Swedish goaltender, play with the, uh, the Colorado Rockies. Neither of them to real... In, to any real significant success, but it did in a lot of ways pave the way for maybe the first goaltender that we thought was going to actually, you know, become a, a superstar in the NHL. Unfortunately, it made a tragic end in a car crash, and that was Pelly Lindbergh. Um, I thought it might be a good idea to park a little bit of time with Kevin to talk about Swedish netminders, the history of it, and where Sweden is at with manufacturing goaltenders right now and there's a great one in Jesper Wellstad uh, on the horizon for the Minnesota Wild as we all know also with Kevin and I'm hoping we can I'm I'm hoping we can we can do this sort of responsibly because I know it is a really hot button issue and an emotional one for a lot of people certainly in Buffalo and that is what do you do with Devin Levi now there's a there's a thought that we still don't have don't have enough runway to determine whether Devin Levi should stay in the NHL or be sent down to Rochester. But nonetheless, uh, as we look at an organization that is ready to take their next step, a big piece of it's going to be who is the goaltender. And as Buffalo really wants us to be Devin Levi, we do have to ask: Is Devin Levi ready for this? And should he have been handled differently already? All things to get into with the goalie whisperer, trademark Elliot Friedman, the one and only Kevin Woodley from In Goal Magazine and NHL.com. Kevin, how are you today, pal? I'm good, though. I'm a little worried about you using the trademark. I think that means I got to send another check to Elliot. <laughs> you know what they say in this industry, Kevin? There's no I in team, but there's two I's in invoice. That's how this entire industry works, my friend. So uh, expect one. Um, I want to do Swedish goaltenders with you, but I, I really want to do Devin Levi first uh, and bounce around a couple of different goaltenders in the NHL. Uh, I don't. I, I look at Levi and I say, this guy needs time in the American Hockey League. Like, it, it's, it's very rare. Like, it, it just doesn't happen that goaltenders go from college hockey right to the NHL. Like even, you know, Ken Dryden spent some time uh, in the minors before the Montreal Canadiens called him up. There's, you know, there's Tom Barrasso, who famously and is now in the Hockey Hall of Fame, went from high school to the Buffalo Sabres. 
Um, there's Gary Laskowski, who uh, the Ottawa netminder who played, you know, right from St. Lawrence, went to the Los Angeles Kings in 1982. But this generally doesn't happen at any level, no matter where you come from. Like if there's one position where you need to spend some time at the American Hockey League Academy before you're ready for the NHL, it's goaltender. Agree or disagree, Devin Levi should probably be heading to Rochester. Let's open with the heavy. Yeah, I, I don't know that I fully agree. Um, I, but hey, listen, I said in the summer, I thought if anybody was going to be able to you know, make that jump, it would be Devin Levi. And I still believe in that the talent um, and the intellect of the goaltender. Like, it's not just how skilled he is. It's how he processes and thinks the game. But you're right, you know, uh, and it's kind of like I say when a goalie gets a chance to be a number one for the first time. Until you've done it, you haven't done it. Until somebody makes this jump and shows us it's possible, you know, these are the questions that are yeah. going to get asked anytime you know, we see someone stub their toe. And I'm not even sure I'm ready to say that yet. I, I'll be honest, Jeff, I haven't watched all his games. I look at the numbers, um, where they are defensively as a team, still in the bottom third of the NHL. We've talked about the lack of structure that yep. appears to be there. I, I do think there are elements, like Devin tracks so well, he moves so well, he's so explosive. There are so many things he does so well. A couple of things that have been pointed out to me by other, you know, goaltending coaches and observers around the league. Um is there enough, I'm trying to think of the phrase, risk management in his game? There are times in the NHL where you can't be perfect, mm. where you can't take ice, where you, you know, you can't just track the puck and get to your spot because there are two more plays coming, especially if you're behind the Sabres, chances are they're lateral. Um, there are times where you just have to get inside your post and put yourself in a position to fill space on pucks that get funneled out of the corner to the front of the net, which is where we see so much offense created down low, broken plays, deflections. And so, you know, maybe there's an adjustment to the reads that has to be made there um, in a game that's never been more dynamic or harder for goaltenders to deal with. Uh, but if anyone can make that adjustment, I still believe at the pro level in real time, I still believe in Devin Levi as a guy who can pull that off. So it's tough if you're the Sabres though, because mm -hmm. you need results now. Um, and interesting, this brings me to a conversation I had with another guy. We used to say that goal, the NHL is not a development league for goaltending, but I think increasingly we're seeing that we're seeing guys who, um, you know, part of this is the retirement of so many greats over the last couple of years. I mean, there's three of them behind, you know, behind me for those that can see, you know, Price, Lundquist and Luongo all gone guys that shoot up 70 games a season. Yeah. Uh, and there's a long list of names. And so increasingly, some of these younger goaltenders are having to learn on the job in the National Hockey League. It's something a couple coaches have talked to me about. And, you know, maybe not to the degree we're seeing with Levi, but this is a trend. Um, he's just at the extreme example of it because of such little time in the American League. Okay, so here, here the, this leads into another question. Um, and I want to get into your latest at NHL.com as well because it's fascinating. And there's a baseball correlation as well to it, which I, I find an interesting wrinkle. Um, who has the advantage now? Now that there is, like, it seemed like, honestly, Kevin, it seemed like five minutes ago you were talking to me about shooting coaches and there was a handful of guys in Victoria that had hired a shooting coach and now everybody has one. And all of a sudden, you know, once upon a time, Elaine Vigneault would say, hey, if you want to score more goals, don't make the nets bigger, like work on shooting. Like it's not exactly a secret here. Like goalies work on their craft and you guys are, you know, doing deadlifts and, and, uh, and, and work on the trap bar. Um, who has the advantage now? Would you say because for the longest time it was goaltenders? Is it still goaltenders, or have shooters narrowed the field? No, I, I, 
I don't know if I'm quite willing to say the pendulum has swung completely towards the shooters, but you know, as you said, we've had this conversation before, Jeff, and, and I'd like to think we were ahead of it a little bit, right? This was coming um, for years. Yeah, players, defensemen, forwards—they spent their summers working on, you know, like the Olympics, bigger, stronger, faster, and goalies were working on technique, yep. like breaking down the way they move, the way you would break down a golf swing. And now more and more, pretty much all these young players coming up, not only do they have the benefit of skills coaches that are breaking down their shots like you would a golf swing, teaching them new releases that disguise things on goaltenders, but they've all grown up with goalies that play a certain way. And these skills coaches aren't just teaching them how to have dynamic shots. They're teaching them how to hide, not just hide releases, but show a goalie a release that looks like it's heading one way create a very specific reaction that we know most goaltenders are going to make to that look and then deliver it in another direction or another spot. Like the deception is off the charts. The scale is tipped. And I've had a mm-hmm. few guys and we see safe percentage decline. Um, there are no more sort of like bang around the front of the net defenseman. You can't tie up and just like lay the lumber. Like it's easier to get to those areas. The pendulum has definitely swung. Yeah. And now it's on goaltenders. So they'll say to sort of start to swing it back and, you know, one of the ways they do that is by finding new ways to get better, to train, um, to improve their eyes and their reaction and their skating and their biomechanics. Okay, let me let me use that and and transition into your latest piece at NHL.com. I, I don't have a – I'm trying to look around my studio here. I don't have a ball. So lacking that – oh, wait a minute. I do. Hang on. Okay. Okay, so I just grabbed the tennis Props. ball. Before. I like it. So uh, I'm at – Imagine, imagine this is a tiny white ball about this big. This is great for radio. Good for TV, terrible for radio. Uh, a tiny white ball. So I learned this from uh, a hitting instructor for both my kids. They both play hockey in the winter and baseball in the summer. So it's a hitting drill. And tiny white ball, and on one of them I have a tiny red dot, and on the other I have a tiny blue dot. And they do this before they do um, uh, hitting practice. Uh, is they'll, they'll kneel down, and, if, and I'll put both balls behind my behind my back and I'll throw one and if it's the blue dot they have to catch with their right hand if it's the red dot they have to catch with their left hand essentially what it is it's focus training it's eyeball training and there's no position in the NHL where you need to train your eyeballs more so than the position of goaltender uh, this is a way to draw attention to your latest article at, at, uh, at NHL.com what are goalies doing to train their eyeballs Kevin Wordley well, more than ever, they're just doing more, right? And and it, it it's everything. And as you mentioned, I love that you mentioned it's not just eye-hand training. Um, we always used to say hand-eye coordination. It's you know, We think of it now as yeah. eye-hand. Um, you're training the eyes. They're, Braden Holby once told me my eyes are my most important muscle as a goaltender, so why wouldn't I warm it up before I go out on the ice? And we used to see you know guys juggling yep. balls off the wall, guys juggling. Well, you know, I talked to Josh Tucker for for this article, and and he trains. He's had over thirty NHL goaltenders. I'm not sure how many he has actively right now, but I was I was in the locker room of the Stars, and I asked Jake Ottinger, like, "Hey, what do you do for this? Just, I'm just looking for some column ideas. What do you do to train?" He turns around, he reaches in, he's got this this bag, like this purple bag full of props um, from Josh Tucker from True Focus Vision. Like the logo on the bag is like a giant eyeball with like two muscular arms reaching out to either <laughs> side, and the idea is train your eyes like you train your body and. Um, So increasing, there's different ways, right? There's different tools. Virtual reality is one we're seeing guys, but it's not just train your eyes, it's train your brain. It's cognitive function. It's the way we sort of train our reaction, train our processing skills. And and goalies are sort of, you know, a lot of the younger guys are leaving no stone unturned in that. So instead of just juggling now, which, um, you know, Josh was telling me he had a goalie that told him he can juggle, he can walk around 
the rink and it's his thing in his junior league. Like this guy literally juggles while walking. He can do anything while juggling. Well, are hmm. you actually making it harder? So like your, your sons do with baseball, you add numbers to the balls. And then every time that ball with a number passes your visual field, you call it out. Um, you add a reaction ball, which is one with little nubs on it. So when you bounce it off a wall, it doesn't come straight back at you. When you're juggling off the wall, we, we add a dynamic nature. We continue to sort of challenge the brain and the eyes to make sure we're not just warming them up, but we're, we're sort of trying to make them stronger. And, um, you know, Visual Edge is a company that has a tablet. You put on goggles that have one red and one blue lens. Now, there are only certain things you can see. They train divergence. They train convergence. Josh has a tablet that does it. So it's not just the ball drills anymore. There's, you know, VR headsets. Guys are using that even, even during games. In between periods, there is... Um, Wow, the tablets, computer based, and then at the end of the article, there's and this this is going to be really good for TV and not so so much for the radio, but there are these goggles <laughs> called track optics, which can go under your mask and they block out both your peripheral Stylish. and your lower vision. And like I know organizations, uh, Carolina Hurricanes, for example, all nine of their goalies in the organization, even over in Russia, have a set of these. Because we're not just training the eyes anymore. We're training vestibular function and the way the head moves and the way the body moves with it. If we create a little bit of a down angle with the head, um, all the things I talk about in terms of movement, rotation, counter rotation, what we're trying to achieve as goaltenders and get away from as goaltenders are stimulated naturally through how our body through vestibular function feels balance. Are we falling backwards, in which case we mm -hmm. counter rotate and pull away from pucks? Or can we keep our head down and rotate through and stay on top of pucks? And these goggles are a really great training mechanism that increasingly I'm seeing used in the NHL. Oscar Dansk puts them on, puts them on on game days. I think he's 4-0-1 with a 9-41 right now after switching to these recently. So again, it's just another example of new things, new tools goalies are finding to try and stay ahead of a curve that the shooters have, yeah. have started to beat us on. Uh, I love it. Um, does anybody still one one last sort of question about training? Do people still use the white pucks? Yeah, I I, I think they do. Or colored pucks. We had an article at ingolmag.com recently where, um, you know, the idea of sort of pulling a shot release out from behind, say, a bucket or a bag of pucks, so you couldn't see what color it was. And as you either pushed or pulled, because let's be honest, shooters are no longer shooting the same. Some of they pull it out and change the angle. Some, like Matthews, pulls it into his feet and changes the angle. Not only are you having to sort of read which way he's going and read that release, but again, training cognitive function, they want you to shout out the number of the puck. I think it was Mitch Korn that was the first to break out the white pucks. Uh, obviously harder to see, force your eyes to do more work. Again, train your eyes. Yeah. Uh, we're seeing all kinds of variations of that still used right up. I don't know that I've seen white pucks in the NHL for a while, Jeff, but certainly I see NHL goaltenders mm -hmm. use them, um, especially in the offseason to train. Okay, let me ask you about um, about Swedish netminders. And when we think Swedish netminders in the NHL, right away we think of Jacob Markstrom and we think of Linus Allmark. Uh, last year we thought a lot about, you know, Philip Gustafsson. Uh, this year we're thinking about Jonas Johansson. Um, and maybe if you're a Philadelphia Flyers fan, you're paying more attention to, to Sammy Erson. Uh, give us a snapshot of where you see Swedish goaltending right now, knowing full well that Jesper Wallstad is on the horizon down the road for the, the Minnesota Wild as well. Give us a snapshot as we're, you know, eyeballs on Stockholm and the Global Series and Leafs and Red Wings coming up here in about 45 minutes. Um, where's Swedish hockey at vis-a-vis -vis netminders? Well, interesting, the guy over my left shoulder, for those watching, the Lundquist jersey from the Olympics, losing him 
uh, was something they were actually concerned about. So Swedish, in terms of goalies wanting to, or players wanting to be goalies in Sweden. So they actually now have, mm. they made it so you can get quick change sets for young goaltenders at the minor level, at the lowest levels of sports. So everybody can try it. So that they continue to, because they, that's how important Henrik Lundqvist was to Swedish hockey in terms of inspiring that next generation. So that's, to me, it's just a great example of how on top of the position they are there. And they've sort of, be, they've become leaders right. in terms of training. Now, there are some people that think their training over the past number of years uh, has at times become a little technical. And some of their goaltenders can can lean that way. It's a conversation I had with Linus Allmark even a few years ago. Like, can you get a little too rigid in your movement and positioning? And I'm not saying that's the case, but there are some that felt that pendulum swung that little that way a little bit in, in Swedish hockey. What they've done better than anyone, I think, is sort of follow the Finnish model of we want to create great goalie coaches all over the country. They would bring them in for symposiums. Everybody would share ideas and they would take those ideas back to their region. Um, in Sweden, the people that run and Thomas Magnuson deserves a ton of credit for sort of masterminding this uh, and being the real driving force behind it. They don't just go out to create great goaltenders from a coaching perspective. No. They go out and they try and create great goalie coaches at all levels, knowing that that trickle down and it's easier when you have the local team right up to the, you know, Swedish Hockey League, the old SHL, um, all the way down. They're all in the same system. But if you create great coaches, great goalie coaches, top to bottom, you will get great goalies. Mm -hmm. And that's the model they've used. They bring them all together again. They have annual gatherings. I mean, I know the eyes are on Sweden right now because the NHL is there, but the World Juniors will be there. Um, and when they are, there's a goalie conference going on that Thomas Magnuson and his crew are putting together to bring all the goalie coaches from Sweden and goalie coaches from around the world together to share knowledge, come up with new ideas and make sure that they continue to be at the forefront of pushing the position forward. You mentioned um, Linus Allmark a second ago, and I can't help but wonder in your opinion, uh, does Boston have the best tandem in the NHL in Linus Allmark and Jeremy, holy smokes, is he having a great season Swayman? Yeah, they do. Like, there's no question. There are some great tandems. We just had one roll through here in Vancouver with the Islanders. Obviously, Sorokin and, and Semyon Varlamov is off to a hell of a yep. start this season as well. Um, you know, increasingly, as we see the push toward tandems, we're going to see more great ones. But it's hard to argue with Swayman and Allmark. Allmark was full value for the Vesna last year. And Jeremy Swayman, what he's doing right now, like when I look at adjusted save percentage in the league, you know, he is up there at the top with Thatcher Demko and Charlie Lindgren. So, and and the beauty is, Jeff, like, having gotten to know both those guys over the years and, and then talking to them about this relationship as many have done in the past year because of the hugs and everything, like it's genuine, it's sincere. Um, there is no whose net is it. Uh, there's no sort of dissension among the ranks about who's playing on any given night because we have two of the best goalies in the league and there's only one net. Uh, they really seem to be in on this all together. And so uh, for all those reasons, yeah, it's it's pretty hard to argue that they are not the best tandem in the National Hockey League. Like, this is the future. Like, the the goalie Tams, you mentioned, like, you know, the, the workhorses, the 70-game guys, they're gone. I mean, we haven't even saw this last year with Jake Ottinger. I think you and I talked about this with uh, with Jake Ottinger and the workload and how that shows up in the playoffs. And the one thing that Dallas, you know, much like years ago, they were the first, and it was because their travel was so brutal. Um, they couldn't afford to have one starter who played the lion's share of the games and then a guy that came in and gobbled up maybe 10 or 15 games. Now both... Uh, starting goaltenders and backup goaltenders or 1A, 1B, 
both need to start a lot of games here and both need to suck up a lot of minutes. Like this is this is the way of not just the future, this is the way of right now, and this isn't changing anytime soon until they make goalie robots. Yeah, I know, and and like you know, like I said, the first we talked about the shooters at the top and how they're closing that gap and how hard the position has become. Like my first uh, column for Unmasked this year at the start of the season was all about that. And part of it is the game's never been harder for goalies and that's physically demanding as well as mentally demanding. You cannot get away with a B game mm. anymore. And so you have to be on. B games used to, I remember talking guys like Longo, like you knew, he, you knew how to manage the nights you didn't have it. If you don't have it now, they're pumping five to eight past you. And so the focus required on a nightly basis, mentally, the physical load, like it went from 70 to 65 to 60. And now I think like a lot of teams are like, hey, 55 is our target. If we can get away with it, we don't want our number one play yeah. any more than that. So if we want them sharp in the playoffs, that's what's required. So you better have another option in there. And so that's a trend I think we'll only see more of. Um, obviously, Vasilevsky is the guy that's bucked it right for years and years. But I, I think that's where it's headed. Um, and again, that's why we see more young goaltenders pushed into, you know, into the NHL when they're still in, you know, quote unquote, probably development stages that could use more time elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, a couple of more for you here. Um, speaking of, speaking of net minders and, you know, getting, well, I mean, one that this week specifically was, was set up to, to fail. It's remarkable how Anaheim stayed in that game against the Colorado Avalanche for as long as they did until the floodgates opened in the third period. I really felt bad for the uh, for October's Rookie of the Month in the NHL, Lucas Dostal of the of the Anaheim Ducks. Like we know how good this guy is going to be for a long time in the NHL. Uh, three games in four nights, a back to back plus altitude. Uh, they throw they throw Lucas Dostal in there. I get it. I understand it. But I know that there's a part of Kevin Woodley that looked at that and said, "Oh man, I feel I really feel for Dostal in this in this situation." Well, and that's the job too, right? Like you got to hang in there for all of them. And, you know, we talk about trends. I think this is more salary cap. Well, not salary cap, but more not wanting to lose guys on waivers. But how many teams have three right now, Jeff? Like, is that a trend we see? They're scared of Tampa. So that night, on They're nights like that. They're scared of Tampa. And But on nights like that too. So that's definitely the reason why, right? Especially with the cap so tight, we know teams don't want three. And three doesn't go into two in terms of nets and practice and all that stuff. But on nights like that, yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if you had another option behind Dostel so that he doesn't have to endure the entire thing? Not not saying he's not capable of hanging in there. And that, like I said, is part of the job. Because you know you can't go to John Gibson because he just played two. So, um, you know, having three goalies, like the way teams manage this goes beyond just relying more on tandems and just limiting how many games your number one starts. Like we're seeing practice goalies, you know, you know, I've heard rumblings. There's a team that has mm. one that that actually travels. We see a designated practice goalie here in Vancouver in Roman Bazran, who's just like a year removed from play, playing pro hockey. Um, the next step, and this is a tough one, because I've had NHL goalies. They don't want their name on this. Um, they <laughs> don't want to be because they don't want to be the guy that's not on the bench because it seemed like you're leaving your team out there. But on nights yep. where your work your workhorse is starting, on nights where he's not. And you know he's not going in like that example for Anaheim. He still has to go through all the physical and mental preparation for the game. And there is a fatigue element to that. Do we get to the point, the teams with three can do it. 
the teams do we get to a point where the benefit of giving that guy especially if you got if you have the room and your farm team's just down the road and they're in town where you bring him in yeah. to sit on the bench because you know you're not putting your workhorse number in one in that night so why do you make him go through yeah. the work of getting ready to play anyways there is a fatigue cost to that it is real none of the goalies want to admit that they would benefit from a night off publicly because mm. that's not a team thing we got to be on the bench sure. but you know, in terms of, you know, resting and workload and, and all those things we see in other sports, they've admitted that they yeah. would benefit from that night off. Let me go work with the goalie coach in the morning skate, get a couple technical specific things we're focused on, get off the ice, not have to come back to the rink at four o'clock and drain myself getting ready for a game. I won't play. Interesting. Uh, we're up against the clock, man. Always something we expect and a lot we didn't. And it's all great. Uh, Kevin, thanks as always for stopping by really great insight. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Always up against the clock when you got me on. The Come in Goal Magazine and NHL.com. Breaking away from people listening on 590 right now, you will get the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, stick around everywhere else. You'll get my little act and Matt Marchese in the Week in Review next across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, uh, welcome back to the program here. Been a really busy week, been a uh, an action-packed week, an eventful week. Chris Knobloch, a perfect 2-0 for the Edmonton Oilers. See if they've turned things around here. Matt Marchese joins us for a, a week in review, which I would imagine might have a Swedish flavor to it as well, Matt Marchese. Yeah, games in Sweden started yesterday with a fun one. Um, like you mentioned earlier, uh, not fun to start, but certainly ended fun. Um, and then the games yeah. the rest of the weekend, which, by the way, as someone, as you know, who is a big football yeah. fan, getting to watch sports from early in the morning until late at night is the best. I mean, my family hates it, but I love it. So are you looking forward to Sunday and the eight o'clock Eastern start? Yeah, well, I'll be up. My daughter will be waking me up before uh, before seven a.m. <laughs> Eastern, so I will be I will be raring yeah. and ready to go. That's why I love like for me and not to not to take away from the weekend review here, but the ideal spot yeah. to watch sports for me has to be the Pacific time zone. Like I am very jealous of the of the people in Vancouver because that is the best. You don't have to stay up late at night. You get to watch sports from like you know ten a.m. local time. I think that's the best. Uh, it's great. Uh, so that sort of winks at another, uh, another question here then, because I think the answer is the Pacific. What's the most interesting division to watch? I think it's the Pacific and the, the success of the ducks just throws a, another great wrinkle into this thing. Like the only thing that, you know, is kind of a, eh, to, to watch is San Jose. The team is, you know, the team's a tough look and the camera positions are a tough look and uh, and always have been. But other than that, there's usually something really interesting happening in the Pacific. Yeah, in terms are of... you on Team Pacific with me? Yeah, in terms of storylines, yes, because I feel like there are a lot and there are some good teams in there and there's some teams in there that we expect to be better. Like, I think Seattle will get a little bit better than their 6-8-4 and four record currently shows. A little bit better. I think they will level off. Um, 
I also think that the Edmonton Oilers are going to get better. And they've won three in a row now. And look out, the Edmonton Oilers have figured out how to score goals and keep pucks out of it. Well, okay, sorry, not to get too ahead of myself. Uh, but yeah, I think <laughs> the the one for me, like the, let's, <laughs> the Atlantic division let's, in let's terms of let, depth is the one for me, me that pa- I'm most let, interested in. Let me pause on on Edmonton here for a second. Mm-hmm. Like it's been great. Like two win, two wins against Seattle and one against the Islanders. Awesome. Stop the bleeding. Got going. Fire up the wagon. There's a whole bunch of question marks for the. Well, hold on. Like there's a whole bunch of questions for the remainder of the month as well. Quick look at the schedule. Okay, Saturday, Tampa, tough game. Mm-hmm. Panthers, tough game. Carolina, tough game. Capitals, suddenly a tough game. The Anaheim Ducks, who knows? <laughs> Anaheim Ducks, who could be? Who knows? The third could period be team an show amazing up. Game could be an. Who knows? Who knows? And then Vegas, and then the suddenly good Winnipeg Jets. This is a tough month. So you're writing this off the Oilers season for the, already. Uh, for the Edmonton Oilers. No, I'm not. <laughs> All I'm saying is it's one thing to, to beat up on the Islanders, who may have to make a coaching decision after the Calgary game on Saturday. Uh, and it's one thing to take you know take two of two from the Seattle Kraken, who have had their, their challenges. Uh, but now you've got Tampa, Florida, Carolina, Washington, the Ducks, the Knights, and the Jets. This is this is a tough sked to finish up the month. Yeah. Like so, we'll see. We'll see how good Edmonton is and whether they need some more some more correction. So I do want to get to the Islanders because they stink right now. But I have a question about the Oilers because you yeah, and Dave. I you and I spoke about this after the after Chris Knobloch was hired. Have you learned who the Chris Knobloch slash Jeff Jackson guys are after two games, or do you need more time to figure that out? No, I still need more time to figure it out. Although I really did figure, I, I really did. Listen, you have to laugh at it, right? So every new coach, I'm glad you asked this one. So every new coach that comes in to the Edmonton Oilers, what is the first thing or one of the first things they always do? Mm. Always do, Maddie. They they put Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid, and Zach Hyman together. That's an easy one. <laughs> no, they do the opposite. They separate Wait. McDavid and Dreisaitl. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, they okay, okay, separate okay, yeah. them, right? They separate those two, and it's like, okay, we're spreading out the scoring, and Leon's going to drive his own line, Silly. and our top six is going to be sick, and then they get in trouble. And they do the same as thing. As <laughs> we saw in that game against the Islanders. And second period, like almost right away, 97 and 29 are back together again. I laugh. I laugh. I laugh. I love it. Because whether it's Woodcroft, whether it's Tippett, uh, McClellan, it doesn't matter. And now Chris Knobloch, it's with the best of intentions. Yeah. And I understand the philosophy. But the minute you have a little bit of adversity or really start to trail and feel things are getting out of hand in a game, what's the in case of emergency break glass move? Put them together. Like, listen, this is not unlike what Quenville used to do with the Blackhawks when they were in trouble. Right? Okay, we need to manufacture a goal. Taves and Kane, they're all of a sudden on the same line. Mm-hmm. But with Edmonton, it's just completely predictable. To the point where, whomever the next coach is, if these two guys are still on the Edmonton Oilers, don't even try to separate them. No. Just leave them together. Because it's going there. It's going that direction anyway. And that's where it's going to end up. You know, it's it's the old joke about, you know, how... Uh, how uh, on your first date, the smartest thing you can do is uh, is buy your partner a house because that's where it's ending up anyway after the divorce. 
Um, you know it's going that direction anyhow. Oh you know God. it's just it's going to putting these two guys together. It's a Jim Ralph joke. Um, uh, it's it's just going to, to it's going to end up as ninety seven and twenty nine. Just don't bother with uh, the nonsense of separating them because you're going to put them together eventually. Anyway. Here, here's the, here's anyway. my here's my issue That's with it. that though, Jeff. Is that they never even right. give it enough time to figure it out because it always seems like every time it's like, oh, we're down by a goal or two. Well, break glass in case of emergency. But, like they don't they don't ride this thing out for six games. They barely get six minutes. But here's the thing about Edmonton. They can't afford any more I, bad games. I know, I know. But they did it They're before too, though. Even when they games. were good. Even when they were good, they were doing the same thing, though. Mm-hmm. That's it right now. Like you need to, you need to win a whole bunch. Of, like, what's the clip you figure they have to play at? Like, what is it? Like a hundred and three point clip, the rest of the way. Am I, am I remembering yeah. that right? Or a hundred five yeah. yeah. clip? Like, there's a lot of. Now, I'm not saying they can't do it. I don't bet against Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl. Thank you very much. But still, that is an insane clip, and that's why I still don't think that Jeff Jackson is done making moves on this team. No, and like right now, there. I said Jeff Jackson. Yes, I, I noticed that they have eleven points right now. And if we were to look at the standings, which is always good radio when we look at the standings, uh, right, currently the Arizona Coyotes are in that second wild card spot with eighteen points. Now the Oilers would have to jump a lot of teams. They aren't. They are out of the basement though, which is nice. But I feel like yeah. if there was a team that could do it. They've been outscoring their problems for so long, their goaltending issues specifically and their defensive issues. I just feel like they ran into a rough patch. Connor McDavid wasn't healthy, and I can't imagine the Edmonton Oilers with those two guys not being in the playoffs. I just I have a really hard time fathoming that right now, and I feel like they're going to get out of this because if there was a team that could do it, it feels like it's the Oilers. So the other the other question becomes, and again, everything is sort of a, a matter of perspective here. But if the if the Edmonton Oilers, okay, it went through their stretch, like they went through their you know two nine and one stretch. If they went through that in January, or went that through that in like late January, early February, instead of going through that in October, November, would we have seen a coaching change? Depends how much. I submit no. Yeah. I, 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 I submit no. Like, you can't be bad out of the gate when expectations are huge. No. Because, because listen, at the at the end of it, Jay Woodcroft had an insane winning percentage for this team. Jay Woodcroft only had this team for one full season, and that's it. Yeah. But it's a matter of timing. I got rhythm. Like, it's a matter of timing. And the timing was just horrible this year. For the Oilers, but if they had built up their track record and then gone through that exact same stretch, but did it in January, I don't think we're seeing Chris Knobloch behind the bench. I I would 100% agree with that because the other thing is too is if you have that in the middle of the season or in whatever, if it's January yeah. or it's December, everybody's going ah, but it's okay. It's it's the Oilers, like, but because yes. it happened in the beginning of the season, everybody went oh, hold on a second, uh, this doesn't seem right, and that's why I thought Todd Richards. Todd yeah. Richards, Todd Richards, Columbus. Was it zero and seven, zero and eight, zero and nine? What was that Columbus record? Yeah, it was, John I think Torella I came? think it was about that. Yeah, and uh, it was like, okay, I get it. You're over, and you need to stop the bleeding. But if this happens at a different time in the season, we're not looking at a coach firing. But it's that it happened at the beginning of the season. Yeah, like we're at that point now in the NHL. 
Like other sports have been there for a long time. The NHL is there now where what you do early can cost you later in a significant way. Mm -hmm. And no one can afford a bad start. No, not anymore. No one can afford a bad start. Speaking of bad starts, how about, how about them Islander seven losses in a row? And I, I posed this question now. I didn't, I mean, I look at this roster and I say, what else did you expect? Your goalie can't save your bacon every single night. You don't have enough scoring. I just, I don't know what the expectations were with the Islanders. I know they didn't have a ton of flexibility, but something's got to be done because, and I, again, I don't think it's the yeah. coach either because this is the same problems they had with Barry Trotz, who's also a very good coach, and they can't score goals because they don't have offensive talent. So for anybody that believed that the Islanders were going to be a playoff team, I say to you, uh, you should not have expected anything different than we've seen over the last couple of years because outside of the addition of Bo Horvat, it's pretty close to the same roster that we've seen that still couldn't score goals mm. before, and all they did was get older. A couple of things. One, any deal they make has to be money in, money out mm -hmm. because they are right up against it. And two, I have to think that they're looking at a left winger, like a high-end left winger to score, to play with Matthew Barzal and Bo Horvat. Like this is a team that has secondary scoring, but are they maximizing their top line? Or given that it's been a revolving door on the uh, on, on the left side for the Islanders so far this season where every pretty much everybody's had a turn, you know, does it feel like the Islanders are playing five on four? Yeah. Like does it feel like they're playing shorthanded when that line is out there considering they don't have that final piece on the top line? Now, I know this is an NHL that has a lot that deals a lot with pairs and it's expensive to have a top line. But you look at the teams that have, you know, the elite level, like we're cranking out three top players. Like Dallas is the obvious example, right? Pavelski, Rupe Hens, and Jason Robertson. I would have to think that considering it's hard for this team to score goals, that they need more goal scorers, they have to be looking for a goal scoring winger to play with Barzell and Horvat and load up on one super line. The other problem to all of it as well is it seems as if, like, I don't know how, like how much, how much Islanders have you watched this year, specifically uh, this year? Uh, only a little bit because they're boring as all hell to watch. So yeah, only a little bit. <laughs> well, and you, and, and, well, I, I get, I get that, but that's what it hints at what I want to go, what I want to go with here on this point. You say that because the Islanders have a defensive posture that whenever I watch the Islanders, I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, this is a team that is scared to open up at all. And you know, in the NHL right now, there are times we have to open up. This team resists it maybe more than any team in the NHL. And you can't. Like, I understand. Like, organizationally, you have the safest general manager. You have a coach that likes to coach safe. You have a lot of players that have bought into, we're going to play really safe here. And that kind of leads to boring hockey. And as we've seen with the Islanders, not very successful hockey. You know, special team, I mean, the power play is, what is it, Matic 11th or 10th in the NHL? The penalty kill is 31st. Like, they're getting chewed. They got chewed last night on the, uh, on the penalty kill as well, surrendering three goals. 
Um, this is a team that needs help. And this is a team that philosophically needs to allow itself to open up so they can score goals. So if you're going to bring in another scoring winger for that top line, that that winger in association with Barzell and Horvat can actually do something like there's no point. There's no point in bringing in someone that can score and say, okay, now it's your job to not go deep into the offensive zone. Like you go in as the F1, you pull up around the hash marks and you start start to, to scuttle back. We're just going to force transition in, in the neutral zone. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't make for the most exciting brand of hockey and it's not the most successful brand right now because I think that it's a team that needs to open up every now and then but are playing as if they're scared to open up because they're taught not to. Well, told not to. I also think that makes sense. Yeah. And I think part of it is, is because they know they can open it up because they don't have the talent to do so and keep up with other teams if they do try and open it up. So I think that's part of the problem. I don't know, man. You, you don't think, you don't think that Barzell would be much happier opening things up a little bit. I, I even just a tiny little crack. I agree. But then after that, like, okay, Bo Horvat, then what are you doing? Like, okay, Brock Nelson. Eh, all right. But I look at here. Here's the, here's the inherent problem with the, I'm going to diagnose the New York Islanders right now on the Jeff Merrick oh, show on uh, what is it? November 17th, 2023. <laughs> Their problem okay. is, is that All they're right. spending too much money on guys that don't score goals. Nick Palmieri, $5 million. Pierre Engvall, $3 million. Jean-Gabriel Pajot, three, $5 million. Uh, Casey Zizekas, $2.5 million. Like, okay, Casey Zizekas, put it aside. He's still a fourth line player. Anders Lee's making $7 million. If you're making $7 million in the NHL, you better be putting up 35 goals. Sorry. Like that's where we're at. If you're, you know, if you're a guy that primarily plays on the wing, you better put up some big numbers. If you're getting paid $7 million, that's why they're up against the cap. They can't make any moves. And frankly, if I were them, I don't know that I would be investing in paying a boatload to bring in a winger to finish what 10th in the East. Like, is that really going to do it? Then you're not drafting high anymore. So um, I guess mm. what I'm saying, Jeff, is the Islanders are done. That's what I guess I'm saying, and it is November 17th. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I'm – listen, when you have goaltenders like that, I don't know that I'm willing to throw in the towel quite yet. I mean, Sorokin and, listen, as Kevin Woodley was mentioning a couple of seconds ago, Semyon Varlamov is having an insanely good year with a 930 save percentage. I think he may be higher uh, than, than 930, and Ilya Sorokin is, you know, always, always has to be a, a, a candidate for the Vesna Trophy. Um, I do want, you know, I'll tell you what, here, here's one to think about this weekend. I wonder about Patrick Kane with the Islanders. Hmm. Like, I know there are some teams that, you know, wonder about the, the nature of the hip resurfacing. And I get that. Um, I think as Elliot mentioned in the first hour, I think we all do wonder about the Buffalo Sabres and we've been waiting for that fit now for how many years? Mm-hmm. I think we wonder about the Detroit Red Wings. Um, I think. I keep getting mixed on uh, on the Dallas Stars, but I would have to, you know, considering they were in on Kane last year, I wonder about them being in on Kane again this season. But as it becomes more and more obvious that there needs to be some changes with the New York Islanders organization, again, where it is jump ball for the playoffs, right? Like, you look at how... Carolina has come back to the pack with their start and New Jersey with all their injuries has come back to the pack. Now I know the Rangers are running right now, but do you think that this Washington Capitals team is real? Uh, the Penguins just had a winning streak snap. Like the Metro's the Metro's up for grabs here. Mm-hmm. Like even a team like as crazy as it might sound, Columbus is out of it, but are they really out of it? 
you know, the Islanders look to be out of it, but are they really out of it? Like, no one's running away, taking the puck, and hiding here in the Metropolitan Division. So I don't know that I'm I'm going to give up on the Islanders because it's not as if it's a powerhouse division. No, no at it, all. No, it's like, it's not. Islanders could rip off a winning streak and 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 make the playoffs. Here, they could. I still think they need to make moves, but that's why I kind of wonder about Kane there. Just throw that out there heading into the weekend as something to something to noodle around between your ears. So the only caveat that I throw out there with the Islanders and, you know, the playoffs in that division is I look at the teams that they are trying, that they would have to leap to get into the playoffs. Here are the teams that are ahead of them in the wild card standings as it stands right now. Toronto, Tampa Bay, New Jersey, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Montreal, Buffalo. And then it's the Islanders. And right behind them are the Senators. Like, I would rather be Almost any other team aside from the Islanders in that grouping. Maybe I'll take the Flyers out of it because I think they lack the same, you know, kind of elite high-end talent that some of these other teams have. There's, I I would rather be basically any other team except the Islanders and the Flyers in that grouping, and they're all fighting for the same place. Now, for the Islanders, is it just because of the salary cap? No, it's because I think they lack elite high-end talent that they can't get the most out of. Like if you if we take if we take the top two players on each of those teams, so if we go Toronto is let's say Matthews and Nylander, and Tampa Bay is Kucherov yeah. and Point. If we no, go and do that exercise, yeah, that's where I'm looking at it right now. They do have probably the best goalie in that group. Not probably, they have the best goalie in that group until Vasilevsky comes back, mm-hmm. and we'll see what he is healthy. But yeah. That's that's where I'm at with the Islanders. Hey, do you want to uh, do you want to talk about uh, goalless droughts or do you want to talk about the high flying Vancouver Canucks? <laughs> oh no, they're no good, man. They just lost against Calgary. They're done. I they're know, finished. but they have the that's three top scores the in the NHL. Away. Nah, that's going to be short lived. They lost to Calgary. It's over. Now they're going to go into a horrible funk. They're going to lose like eight of their last nine. It's over. Um, I don't know. Your choice. Okay, let's heading do- into the weekend. You want to do like the the really the really bright story of the Vancouver Canucks? Yeah, let's. It's fun. Yeah, let's do that. Goalless droughts. I'm good with. I'm good with anything. Let's do, let's do that because oh, the the goalless drought was thankfully Jonathan Huberto scored a goal last night, so good for him. Um, but va- with yeah. Vancouver, like I I don't anticipate that Elias Pettersson, J T Miller, and Quinn Hughes are going to finish one, two, three in scoring. That would be cool. The last time we got close to that was ninety five, ninety six with the Penguins. It was. Mario Lemieux, mm. Yarmir Yager won two. And I can't remember who finished third, uh, probably Wayne Gretzky. And uh, Ron Francis finished fourth. So that's, we got close once. I don't think we're going to get that with the Canucks. But for them to have the three yeah. top scorers in the NHL, all with 27 points this far into the season, I, whatever happened last night, it was the second half of a back-to-back. If you listened to our betting segment yesterday, you would know that Vancouver historically has struggled in Calgary, but that's just me. Um <laughs> But listen, the Canucks yeah. right now, they are getting the most out of everybody on their, all the stars on their team. And I think that that's a credit to Rick Tockett. Like when, uh, when you were off last week, I had Liam McHugh on and I asked him about like what he learned about Rick yeah. Tockett and his time working with him. And he said, this guy cares about every detail. Like, and he does it in a way that he doesn't, you know, make you feel small about it. And he may go call his players out in the media and whatever, but He's having conversations with them and and can relate to them and be relatable himself. 
I think that I'm I'm very surprised at the job that Rick Tockett has done. I think he's had bad situations in the past, and now he's got a lot of talent, and he's getting the most out of it right now. You know, it, it is interesting too, but I would uh, I'll take it one step further. I don't think it is exclusively the domain of the elite players. Now, all the top guys are playing like the top guys in 13 goals for Besser, and you mentioned the the three on top, and I think you got to throw Philip Peronik in there, who I think is third amongst defensemen in scoring and had right 107 now mile an hour slap points. shot almost 108 it was yeah. 107.9 <laughs> wild <laughs> oh, by the way just as an aside i don't know if you're thinking about this during that islanders vancouver game earlier this week but uh, when we look at the skills competition in the uh, in the nhl for all-star wouldn't you have wouldn't you love to see just a two a two-player showdown for hardest shot ryan pulak of the islanders philip heronik of the Vancouver Canucks mm-hmm. I, long for the longest time. I've just lobbied for bringing the specialists. Like, I don't care if he's not even in the league, bring in Martin Furk yes. for the hardest shot and just let him rip one up around 108, 109 mm-hmm. um, and, and, and go from there. Um, but it's also like the Philip DiGiuseppe's that talk. does really well with the Connor Garland's like, I, I really wonder where Connor Garland's head is at right now with the van- with the Vancouver Canucks and with this coach Rick Tockett. Does he still want out or you look at the success of this team and are you saying to yourself, eh, maybe I'd like to hang around? I think a lot of that is Tockett. I, I think you're bang on about that one, Maddie. Um okay, we are out. That's uh that's it for us today. Thanks to everyone who was on the show today. That would include Kevin Woodley, Aaron Portsline, Elliot Friedman, uh, thanks to supervising producer and contributor, Matt Marchese. That would include Lance Kennedy, Jen Rolnick, and our producer, David Sis. Uh, Hockey Night in Canada, as always, on the horizon. The Habs and the Bruins. The uh, Winnipeg Jets version 2.1 and 2. Well, Winnipeg Jets version 1.0 and 2.0. Uh, the Islanders and the Calgary Flames and the Seattle Kraken and the Vancouver Canucks. In a couple of moments, Leafs are facing off against the Detroit Red Wings in Sweden. Global Series continues. Enjoy the action back here on Monday. Listen, have a great weekend. Talk to you next week.